0: Amen. I want to thank our worship team for uh, leading us in worship and uh, leading us into the throne room. Uh, what a what a blessing it is to to have people so talented, but also willing to serve the Lord and uh, use their gifts for for Him. Um, is everybody here this morning ready for a little cooler weather? Yeah. Amen. Amen. I mean, even if they say ninety five, I'm taking it. I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll take that you know, whatever it is, because, man, it's been hot. But uh, I, we could use some rain, too, so continue to pray for rain. And, and uh, you know, it, it's a it's a blessing uh, being able to meet on a Sunday morning um, and worship the Lord. And uh, if you have your scripture and you want to open up, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 and 10 this morning. And, uh, you know, biblical Christianity... It has a, a vertical and it also has a horizontal dimension to it. And, um, you know, when you truly understand the message of the gospel, uh, it's going to affect how you relate to God and it's also going to affect how you relate to other people. And uh, I, I think that's, that's huge. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul explained the gospel. He went through this, this whole uh, doctrine of the gospel. And then when we get to chapter 12, he tells us how this should change us. And uh, in the first several verses, uh, Paul talks about uh, the dimensions of faith, uh, the vertical dimension. And he talks about the, the message of salvation and how it should change us. Uh, that we would respond to God by giving ourselves as a living, holy sacrifice, pleasing to God, which is our spiritual form of worship. He also says that we should seek to serve Him um, in an area where He has called us to serve. And and this morning we're going to talk about love, and uh, I've entitled it Love Without Wax, and I'll explain that in just a little bit. But read with me, if you will, in your scripture, uh, Romans 12, Verses 9 and 10. And uh, this is what God's word says. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Loving Father, Every time that we come to your word, we are mindful that we are dependent upon your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And Father, you work through human teachers whom you have given to the church, and so I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I would only say those things that are true but far, far beyond me, we need the Master Teacher, we need the Holy Spirit to illumine, to illuminate our minds, to open our hearts and our understanding. So we look to you and ask that you would guide us as we study your word. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for how you guide us in it. And I pray, Father, that this morning your Holy Spirit would reveal to each of, the, each of us the, the areas that we need to give to you that maybe we've been hanging on to. But Father, that you would do that for your glory and for your honor. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, in verse 9 here, Paul... Uh, and following, Paul describes uh, the horizontal dimensions of our faith. In other words, how we relate to those around us. And, and he lays out the principle in verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And the verses that follow amplify that principle. They, 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 they really put the, the spotlight on that principle. And this morning we're going to look really at that principle um, let love be without hypocrisy, and, and it, it's pretty simple. I mean, if you boil it down, our, our love uh, needs to be sincere, um, and, and it needs to be discerning. Um, and, and I think those are, you know, if you put those two together, love must be sincere, love must be discerning, I, I, I feel like, you know, <laughs> love never fakes it, love never fakes it. And uh, love should always be genuine and from the heart in action. And so my, my first point this morning is love must be sincere without hypocrisy. And in the NIV translation, it says, uh, let love be sincere. And, and Paul's first command here is that love should be without hypocrisy, that it should be sincere. And I just want to look at a couple of these words because the, the word sincere uh, comes from a Latin word, um, that, that was, uh, that we get our word sincere from, that's sincera. Okay? It's two words, actually. Sin, S-I-N-E, Sarah. And, uh, really, uh, it, it means without wax. And, and it's kind of something, you know, to, to wrap your mind around that, but, uh, the phrase comes from an early practice where, um, some shady merchants, okay? They would, they would take these um, pieces of pottery that were very cheaply made, and, and what they would do is they would, they would put wax in there to fill in the cracks so nobody would know, okay? And then they would, they would, they would pass the pottery off as being worth more than it, than it actually was. And, and, and quality products were often stamped with those words, sincera, uh, to show it had not been doctored and and you know it's it's interesting because i mean if we think about it today we we see products on the shelf that say you know 100% pure or all natural and so we we recognize that that they're they're trying to be sincere in what they're they are putting forth there and paul is telling us that we need to love in a way that is pure and genuine you see the greek word here That's translated, and hypokritos is actually the word that means without hypocrisy. And so uh, in classical Greek, that word meant that you, uh, it was talked about play acting, that the people that that were actors in the play would wear a mask. And so what he's saying is love uh, should be sincere, we shouldn't be wearing a mask. When we're loving other people. Um, And and I think that's huge because the love should be real and not pretend. And we should be without, this love should be without a hidden agenda. And, um, you know, imitation love, uh, you know, today we don't talk about things being uh, imitation a whole lot. But we talk about it being fake, you know, Uh, fake news, fake love, of course, comes from the flesh, And it comes from the pretender that is down inside of each and every one of us that wants us to be well thought of even though we know we're probably not really worth it. And what I mean by that is we want others to think respectable of us even though we know ourselves that we may not be worthy of that kind of respect and love. But why does Paul state it this way? I mean, we know that, that that true love comes from the Holy Spirit to us. When we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. And so in that, we have the capability of true love. And I, and I ask the question, why does Paul state it this way? And I say that because it is much easier for us, <laughs> we are much better at claiming to love someone than we are at really loving them. It's easy for us to say, oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. But it's much harder to really love others. We all learn the art, I wanna call it the fine art of pretending very early on. I mean, sometimes we say things like, um, you know, we'll tell someone that we are, we are praying for them or that we will pray for them, but we don't actually do that. We smile when we're talking to someone like we're listening to them, but we really aren't listening. We're thinking about what we're going to say next. We tell someone that we forgot to do something that they asked us to do, but in truth we just didn't really want to do it. We tell someone to call me anytime, but when we see their their number on our phone caller ID, we won't pick it up. We say positive things to a person in front of them, but when we are away from them, we speak more critically. We say, well, we'll keep in touch, even though we know that we won't. You know, I hate to admit this, but I saw this in myself recently. We attended a church a while back, and we were out of town, and after the worship, I spoke warmly with the pastor. However, as soon as we reached the car... I began to be very critical of his message and his presentation. See, my love was not sincere. It was filled with wax. I feigned love on the outside, but I was a savage on the inside. I hope you can see these kind of examples In your lives, I sure hope I'm not the only one. But we are skilled at duplicity. We are masters of covering up our true feelings. And in fact, most of us have been hurt at one time or another by those who have spread lies about us behind our backs. And it would be nice to think that this doesn't happen in the church but it does, it does. Many people have left the church because of insincerity, because the love that they received was filled with wax. So is this really that big of a problem? You know, I'm no expert, but I have some ideas I would say first, I believe that many of us are desperately insecure. We tend tend to feel that that life is like a contest. And um, consequently, anything good that happens to another person is at our expense. And this is sometimes how we view that. I mean, if someone gets an A in a class, it does... (laughs) It doesn't mean that they have worked hard and should be congratulated. What it means is you've ruined the curve for the rest of us. That's how it's played out. And, and you know, we, we see that and we, we, we understand that. If someone gets something new or has some success, we don't congratulate them. We somehow feel like we have been cheated. Like, man, why didn't that come to me? Or when someone needs something from us, we feel put out. But when we are in need and someone doesn't respond to us, we conclude that person is being insensitive or selfish. Even when someone close to us doesn't want to do what we want to do, for some reason, We feel diminished. You know, as believers, we need desperately to hear the message of the gospel. That God's love for us is not based on how we measure up to other people. See, it's not a contest. God loves you because of who you are. He loves us because we have been forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And what happens or doesn't happen in another person's life does not change your value one iota. We belong to him. We are children of God because of our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. See, I believe there's a second obstacle to sincere love, and I believe that it is this: is that we are too busy. We're too busy. I believe that one of the things that hinders genuine compassion and love is our busyness. I mean, we're always in a hurry. We're going, going, going. As a consequence, we feel we don't have the time for any meaningful relationships. I mean, any, any kind of interaction there. And it isn't that we don't want meaningful relationships. We absolutely do. And often that is the very thing that we're hungry for. But we don't always realize that. We don't always receive that. See, our problem is that we always have to be somewhere so that we can take care of something. We've got someplace else to be. But understand that caring and love takes time. You know, when we're being pulled in all these different directions, we can't help but be emotionally drained. And as a result, we're without the emotional resources that we need For a true and sincere love for other people. So what is the answer? I mean, it seems to me like there's several things that we could do. The first one is this, is that we must focus. We must focus on the truth of the gospel. Oh, we need to hear the gospel. We need to hear that Jesus loves us. That he died for us. I think this is is huge because it's only as we come to see the love that God has for us that we will be able to love each other. It's only when we see how much God loves us that we are able to love those around us. And as we become to understand that God loves us not because of our achievements, not because of our possessions, not because of a title, but because of who we are, then we will experience that true love. And when we are secure in God's love, we find that we are better able to love those around us. See, you can't truly love without wax until you have that kind of experience of love from our Lord Jesus. I mean, think about this. Every counselor has had to go through periods of counseling. Every tradesman has to go through some kind of apprenticeship. Every teacher has been a student. And the best doctors have been patients. And in each case, these people needed to experience what they were (laughs) being asked to do. And in the same way, sincere love requires that we experience the sincere love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ first. We have to experience His love. I think this is, this is big because when we do, we understand that it's not about us. It's about Him and how we can share His love with those around us. So focus on the truth of the gospel. Secondly, I would say that we must make the effort to love. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, I know it's been hot out and it just takes it out of you, you know. You don't feel like doing much because it's so hot out. But we must make the effort to love. And we do this by working hard to listen. To listen to each other. We need to hear what a person has to say rather than just waiting for your turn to talk again. And this involves interactive questioning. I mean... However, to be fair, we must also love includes being attentive to when it is and when it is not a good time to share our burden. Most of the time, we just want to dump it on somebody. We need to be sensitive to that, to be able to know when and when not to. Third, I would say this, we need to slow down. Just need to slow down. I mean, if you have a schedule you, you maintain and you plan some time, uh, in your schedule, uh, you should be able to, to plan that time so that you could have time to visit. Okay. And to actually care about the people that you're, you're, you're meeting with. I mean, you think about this. In other words, if, if there's a 30 minute meeting, set some time aside before or after the meeting so that you can get to know and check on, on those that you're meeting with. And, and and that's one way that we can share that love is you know work at asking people about their lives. And and I just want to say this too we might we might need to cut some things out of our schedules. If we're really gonna spend the time with others, we're gonna have to cut some things out of our schedules. And parents, it may also be from your children's schedules. I mean where did we get this notion that we need to have our children involved in everything or somehow we're depriving our children of the opportunity to excel excessive activity is like a drug when you're addicted to activity you can't sit still You're always bored and you're always wanting or needing some new thing to entertain you. See, it is impossible to excel at anything if you're trying to do everything. Quite honestly, we're developing children who don't know how to read a book. We're developing children who who labor to have an extended conversation who wouldn't have any idea how to simply sit back and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. We have to go outside in order to do that. We have to shut the, the computer down. We gotta shut the, the laptop down. We gotta get outside and see what God is up to. You see, true love means setting limits and having some boundaries. And these This leads us to our our next phrase, love must be sincere, but love must also be discerning. I mean, Paul follows the command to love sincerely by saying, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. In the Greek text, the words hate and cling are, are participles, which means the verse should be read like this, love should be sincere, abhorring evil clinging to the good and that kind of sounds foreign to our ears to hear love and hate in the same vein here like they cannot go together but on the contrary hating what is evil is a requirement for sincere love as a parent don't you hate it when your child comes home broken hearted because someone was mean? As an employee, don't you hate it when an employer humiliates one of your friends publicly? Do you hate it when a drunk driver victimizes your friend? Of course you do. We hate that. We don't want that. We hate what is evil, not because we're cantankerous. We hate what is evil because evil things hurt people and relationships. In Proverbs 6, verse 16 and uh, down through 19, the writer uh, says this. It says, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Proud eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. See, Solomon tells us that God hates behaviors that destroy people and relationships. We're to hate evil and sin Because they destroy people and they push them further away from God, who is the source of life. See, if we truly love people, then we must hate what is evil. But I would submit to you today that we can't hate what we don't see. You know, William Barclay, he wrote this. He said, it has been said that our one security against sin lies in our being shocked by it. It was Carlyle who said that what we need is to see the infinite beauty of holiness and the infinite damnability of sin. And Barclay points to a, a grave danger. When we become numb to evil, when we stop being shocked by it, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble. I mean, this is a real danger. Because we see, we see murders, we see adultery, we see lying, we see stealing so much in the media and on television that we're no longer Shocked. The news is filled with acts of unspeakable violence, and we are so numbed by the depravity around us that we have become somewhat immune to it. And we don't approve of evil deeds, but what we really, we don't really hate them either. When evil and sin numbs our heart, it also diminishes our ability to love without wax. See, there's a difference between hating evil and hating the consequences of evil. It's kind of like the difference between somebody being sorry for what they've done or only being sorry that they got caught. I mean, do you see this kind of thing in our society? I mean, some teenagers don't cheat in school not because they value the truth and want to do their own work, But because they're afraid that they might get caught and fail. Many of us drive the speed limit. Or within that five mile an hour acceptable range. Not because we're concerned with respecting authority. But because we don't want to have to pay for a ticket. And we don't want our name in the newspaper. We report our income accurately, not because it's the right thing to do, but because we're afraid of the fines if we get audited. In other words, our true motivation often is not love for what is good so much as the feeling that we can't get away with what we would really like to do. And with that in mind, we recognize It's a condition of our heart. So what do we do? How do we we escape the numbness of the evil that is all around us and this this tendency to miss the point? Paul tells us here, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And that word cling is the word that we have for glue. Glue. Be glued to what is good. Get rid of the evil. Abhor it. Hate it. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Hmm. So in order to combat this erosive quality of evil in our lives, we need to pursue truth. You're familiar with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. We're talking about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects Always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Did you hear verse 6? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. See, clinging to the good is the same as rejoicing with the truth. And practically, this means, you know, regularly and attentively. Reading God's word and seeking his instruction for our lives. Evaluating the events of the day, you know, before the Lord in prayer. Pursuing solid biblical instruction through preaching and books and, and podcasts. Taking the truth that we learn and putting it into practice in our life each and every day. See, if we do not continually sharpen the knife Of truth, it will become dull and useless in attempting to cut away the evil in our life. If we don't continually return to the source of truth, we find that the line between good and evil that runs right down through our heart becomes blurred. See, this leads us to be more self absorbed and less able to love with genuineness. And as I close this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to draw some important principles of how to love without wax. And first I would say this, we need to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves. I mean, we can love one another without wax. If we're going to do that, we, we, we have to be able to see when we are failing to do so. If we don't see it, if we don't recognize it, we're in, we have a problem. And so we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to be honest with God about our mixed motives, about our pretend love, our manipulative ways, and the love that we have which is evil. And I, I challenge you to tell yourself the truth about yourself even when it hurts. Second, I would say we must allow God to love us in Christ. It's time to take God at his word and let him make you a new creation in him. I mean, the Lord has promised to forgive us. He's promised to cleanse us, to cherish us, to make us new if we put our faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ, and for what he has done for us. And as we draw close to him, his spirit will have a greater influence in our lives. Consistently, throughout the New Testament, love is not an uncontrollable feeling that comes over you once in a while. Rather, love in the New Testament is a commandment. It's a commandment from Jesus Christ to be obeyed And he made it very explicit in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you must also love one another. It must break God's heart that we as believers don't love one another like we should. He gave his son to die on the cross so that we would love each other. So that we would be unified, so that it wouldn't be a fake love, it wouldn't be an imitation, it wouldn't be something that that just when we feel like it, we do it, and when we don't, never mind. It's a commandment that he gives us, and the supreme demonstration of, of Jesus' love was when he went to the cross and bore God's wrath on our behalf. But he didn't do that because he just felt an impulsive urge. To do something nice for us. He did it in obedience to the will of God the Father. Not because he had butterflies in his stomach, not because it was something that he was emotionally charged to do. He did it in obedience to God the Father for us. And he commands us to love one another. See, the love that I'm talking about is unnatural. It's a love that God must work in our heart through His Holy Spirit. We need His transformation. And may I challenge you once again to put your life in His hands. To say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Transform me. Change me. Use me. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. We're going to sing some more songs together. But I want to say this. Finally, we must begin to act in loving ways. In other words, we must do what is right. Even when we don't feel like it completely. I know that sounds like hypocrisy, but it's not. Think about this. Just as a child, a little child, they babble before they can really talk. And just like that, we must act in loving ways before we do so with the right heart. I mean, a person... When they're learning to cook, they're going to burn some things. They're not going to get it quite right. A craftsman learns to build by building some things that are flawed at the beginning. But what happens is they get better and better and better at it. If we will begin to love because it's a commandment, God will give us the heart and the right motives to continue in that love. We must try to do the loving thing first And a loving heart will follow. So what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing for you to do? For you to do? Maybe call an old friend? Maybe send a note to someone who is grieving? Maybe God is calling you to release someone from a past failure. In other words, to forgive them. Just forgive them the debt. Maybe anonymously to buy some groceries for somebody who's in need. What's the right thing for you to do? Maybe give time in a mentoring program. Or maybe you just need to go and listen. Listen to someone who needs to talk. See, your heart may not be in all of these things. You may find yourself dragging your feet and maybe even totally resisting. But if we will do what God's spirit is nudging us to do, if we will do that, you will find that your heart will begin to change. See, we will see God's grace at work in our efforts. And before you know it, your love will be sincera without wax. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Mm-hmm. And Father, I pray that you would heat our love up to get the, the wax out of our love.